0: We're in 1 Timothy, we're in a series called The Good Fight. There is such a thing as a good fight. In fact, there's a scripture right there in Timothy. It says sometimes you and I are called to fight the good fight for the faith. You know, not just because, not violence physically, but the idea that that when we enter the Christian life, we enter battlefield earth and we have an enemy who's going to try to keep us from living the kind of life God wants us to live. And we're called to fight. The good fight for the faith. And that's what Paul told Timothy who was to direct a local church there in the city of Ephesus. This is how you're to govern your church. And we get to this chapter now, chapter 3 in First Timothy. That's where we're going to be if you want to open up your Bibles or your tablets or devices. There are going to be some scriptures up on the screen to help you understand. But we're going to talk about chapter 3 in First Timothy because now Paul moves on to a new topic. And he's going to talk about God's appointed leaders in the local church. God's appointed leaders in the local church, these are called elders. They are called overseers. Uh, And we're going to learn about them. What is it that makes a good elder or overseer? You know, the beauty of the New Testament is it gives even a local church like us, it gives us a model for how to have leadership and how to have the right kind of leadership that God wants each local church including us to have. Jesus is the head of the church, you guys know that. Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And so he is the head over all things including every local congregation. Jesus is the head of the church. The Bible is our guide for our faith and practice for how we are to live the life that follows Christ. And then in the teaching of the New Testament, there is some teaching on elders and how to establish good, godly leadership for every local assembly. Chuck Swindoll is a great church pastor and author. He used to live right down the street from me in Fullerton, and Chuck preached at that church a long time. He wrote a book called Rise and Shine, and when talking about elders in a local church, this is what Chuck Swindoll said. He says, God has chosen that the church should be led by a group of godly individuals called elders, who are dedicated to serving Christ and listening to the Holy Spirit. If the elder's character is not in tune with God, then that church is going to flounder. But if the elder's hearts are right and they're set on Jesus, then that church is going to be healthy and it will flourish. You see, when we're talking about elders, we're talking about a position of leadership in a church. And Christian ministry, that kind of leadership, that is a character profession. It's a character profession. I read an article by this guy named Tony Penner. He wrote about uh, establishing elders in each local church. And Tony Penner puts it this way. It's uh, kind of very frank, very kind of in your face. So get ready. Tony says it this way. He says, to put it bluntly, you can sleep around and still be a good brain surgeon. You can cheat on your wife and have little trouble continuing to practice law. Apparently, it's no problem to stay in politics and plagiarize. You can be a successful salesperson and cheat on your income tax. But you cannot do those things as a Christian or as a minister and continue to enjoy the Lord's blessing. You must do right. You must speak right, act right, think right, and live right. In order to have true integrity. So, if you're to have the office of elder in a local church, and yet you can't come to terms with evil, or you can't break habits in your life that continue to bring a reproach to the name of Christ, then please do the Lord and do the local church a favor and resign. That's saying it pretty straight, huh? We want to answer two important questions today regarding leadership in God's church. The first question is this, what are the elders, if, God, if elders, this is what God wants every local church to have, to govern the affairs of the local church, if that's what God wants, what are the elders supposed to do? And then the second question is, what character traits make these guys qualified to be elders? What character traits do they have to have in order to be elders? And so Paul makes it clear that the church needs Christian leaders of high character in order to lead the flock of God. Now, historically, when you first read about elders in the New Testament, the first place you you come across it, you know where it is? It's in the book of Acts. It's not surprising because the book of Acts chronicles the first 30 years of the history of the church. And when Paul and Barnabas go on this missionary trip and they go into Turkey and and the island of Cyprus, Uh, when you reach chapter 14, we read this, and this is after Paul and Barnabas, after they'd preached the gospel, they'd evangelized, they'd made some disciples, and as they're getting ready to leave that community and go start another church in a new city, it says this, Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church and prayed for them with fasting, turning them over to the care of the Lord in whom they had come to trust." Now, that's a great story, it's a great history to read about, wow, was that church blessed or what, that the Apostle Paul himself and Barnabas personally fasted and prayed and they chose and appointed the elders for that local church. It's kind of like the fast forward version, boom, instant leadership for a local church and Paul and Barnabas are moving on because it was urgent, the the work that they had to do. Um... I'm sorry, but the Apostle Paul isn't around today to personally appoint elders here at Sebastopol Christian Church. So it's now the responsibility of each local congregation to choose good elders who have the right character to lead and shepherd God's church. It's God's plan that every member of the congregation, and by the way, this is for you and for me. We do this once a year. If you're new to our church We do this once a year. We have a nominating process. We have ballots, and we put together a nominee piece of paper, and it says, if you see somebody that you think is of high Christian moral character, and you think that person would make a good elder of the church, please put that person's name down as elder and nominate them, because that's how we do it, uh, that... You, as a member of God's church, that you have the responsibility of participating with your nomination, with your prayers, and with your approval in selecting, every year, in selecting elders in the local church. We should be looking for Christ followers who have demonstrated that they're sold-out Christians, that Jesus is their Lord, and Sebastopol Christian is their home church, and they're active here. Let me see, let's see here in three passages what elders are to do. So, I, one of the questions is okay, God, God wants godly elders. He wants elders to govern the local affairs of the church. What does he want elders to do? Let's look in the first passage here. It's also in the book of Acts. This time, you, you fast forward to chapter 20. When you get down to Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, the Apostle Paul's talking to this local group of elders from Ephesus. And he says this to the elders he says, talking to them says you want to be a good elder this is what you need to do so guard yourselves and God's people feed and shepherd God's flock his church purchased with his own blood over which the holy spirit has appointed you as leaders so the first step is you you guard yourselves and you are to feed and care for and shepherd the flock of god the holy spirit made you leaders that's your responsibility now when he talks about elders, Paul uses a Greek word called episkopos. Now, maybe you've seen churches around. We have a church right up the street called St. Stephen's. St. Stephen's, what's the name of that church? What's the denomination? Episcopalian. Comes from a nice Greek word, episkopos. You've heard out to scope out something. Hey, I'm scoping them out. You know, that means I'm looking them over. I'm examining them. Episcopos literally means to look over. And that's where we get the word overseer. Someone who's looking over the life and the health of a local congregation and seeing what they can do to care for and feed and shepherd and protect the flock of God. Here's where the, that's where we get the word overseers. So that's what the elders are supposed to do. There's another passage in Hebrews 13, which is a... a A mandate for the elders themselves but also a mandate for us who are in the church under the spiritual authority of the elders and this is what it says in Hebrews it says obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls talk about that overseeing ministry is to keep watch over the life and the health of the congregation that means you have to know people You can't just say, well, I'm counting noses and nickels here. I'm just, how many people people are here today, and what was the offering? You know, those are certain parameters for the health of the church, but that doesn't doesn't get into the nitty-gritty of how people are doing spiritually. So you have to know. You have to know your flock if you're going to care for your flock. Obey, and then for our part, these are God's appointed leaders. Obey your leaders and submit to them. They keep watch over their souls. They'll give an account to God for the work that God called them to do because it's a high responsibility calling to be an elder in a local church. They're going to give account to God. We're going to give account to God for how we worked with them, cooperated with them, obeyed their leadership. And it says, in fact, there's another place that says, give them reason when it says uh, they're keeping watch over your souls. It says, give them reason to do this joyfully. Uh, and not with sorrow. So help make the elder's job easier. Help it make it a joyful ministry for them by doing what God has called you to do. So watching over believer's soul in the local church, it's not to spy on people. It's not to look into every little detail of their life. It's for the purpose of guarding them, protecting them, to keep them safe from false teaching, to keep them safe from the enemy's attacks. Paul already talked to Timothy earlier in this letter and he's going to talk to him again he says Timothy you've got to stop false teaching that's going on in the Ephesian church the elders are supposed to be responsible for that they're supposed to guard God's family they're supposed to keep wrong ideas out of the gospel teaching in the local church and now the last, que- the last part of the question what are the elders supposed to do the apostle Peter weighs in on this one too And when he gets to 1 Peter chapter 5, he probably gives the best description of all of what a local church elder is supposed to do. uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. So Peter's talking now, right? The one that Jesus reinstated there on the shores of Galilee. Are you, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, right? That's That's what Jesus told Peter to do. And Peter now calls himself a fellow elder just as he's calling out these elders. So he says, and now a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder. I'm a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when it's revealed to the whole world. Isn't it amazing Peter says to them, to these local church leaders, as a fellow elder, I appeal to you. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, because, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people that God has assigned to your care. In other words, being an elder is not about being a boss. It's not about telling people what to do all the time. You over here, you over here, quit screwing up, quit messing around. You know, get back in line. You know, it's not just about that. And it's not with, a, with an I'm the boss and you're my employee kind of an attitude. Don't lord it over the people that are assigned to your care. But Peter says, you want to be a good elder? Here's how to do it. Lead them by your own good example. Elder, lead such a good godly life that people will want to follow in your steps. As, just like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's a high calling. So let's get into 1 Timothy chapter 3. That was all like, okay, you guys ready for 1 Timothy 3 now? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says this. This saying is trustworthy. If someone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a good work, right? 1 Timothy 3, 1, he desires a good work. There's another translation. The NIV says he desires a noble task. Somebody wants to be elder? Another translation says he desires an honorable responsibility. God wants elders who want to work, not just people who want the status of being an elder. It's not about the prestige of the position where someone could think, hey, now I have some real power around this place. Now I can tell people what to do. No, God is looking for someone who desires to do the spiritual work of lovingly shepherd the church of God. So, Woodrow Wilson was one of the presidents of the United States from 1913 to 1921. And when Woodrow Wilson left the office of the presidency, he was asked by a reporter, uh, he said, what was the, he said, Sir, President Wilson, what has been the greatest honor of your life? What's the greatest honor of your life? And you know what his response was? To be an elder in my Presbyterian church. Can you believe that? President of the United States, says, my greatest honor was to be an elder in my local church. So what are you looking for when you're looking for an elder in the church? Now, this is for the rest of the congregation. When it comes time to nominate in the fall, looking for new elders or looking for uh, uh, reappointing the elders that are already in our congregation that are up for renewal, what are we looking for? It says, you're looking for a man in this congregation who wants to be a sh- the shepherd who wants to shepherd the souls of people. Yes, they're going to have to make hard decisions about budgets and buildings, but you know what? They do that because they love you. That's part of the job they signed up to do. What they really love to do is to shepherd the souls of men and women, of boys and girls, uh, in our local gathering of Christ followers right here at Sebastopol Christian. So there it is. If someone desires the office, if someone desires, in other words, if somebody nominates this person to be elder, they have to be willing to say yes. You can't just draft them in. You, hey, we, we've appointed you to be elder. I don't want to be elder. Too bad. You've been appointed. No, you, have to be, you have to agree to it. So if someone desires to be an elder, there's a noble task, a high calling, an honorable position that they're doing. Now, here's all the qualifications. And I want you to notice something. Notice, say, what are the details of all these qualifications? And I'll I'll, I'll give you a softball question. Are the details of who's qualified to be an elder, are these details, are they more about what the person is supposed to do? Or are are they more to be about who the person is supposed to be, right? What are they supposed to do? Or are these qualifications more about who this person is supposed to be, okay? Let's go into verse 2, right? Start off in verse 2. It says, the overseer then must be, and I think you hear eight of them right out the gate. I think there's 16 or 17 qualifications in these seven verses. So it's like, wow, Paul's just going to go, da-da, 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 da I'm going to give you a bunch of details about qualifications for elders. The overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. An able teacher. Wow, that's a lot of character traits strung together right there. First one, he says, above reproach. Now, that describes a person who lives a lifestyle that keeps with the obedience of Christ someone who cannot be faulted. Somebody says, hey, that person's a total hypocrite. You know, you don't find, hipo- you don't find blatant hypocrisy in that, but they're above reproach, right? So when a person's above reproach, it means that they conduct themselves in such a way that People, they're not going to find a legitimate reason to criticize them. A person qualifies for eldership when it can be shown that they don't have any obvious or glaring faults that would hamper or hinder their ministry. You re, we realize, I mean, nobody, let's be honest, nobody's perfect. Nobody's exactly like Jesus, you know. As soon as you qualify, to be exactly like Jesus. Okay, now you can be an elder. Well, guess how many elders we would have? Zero in the church, right? So no one's perfect, we're, and we're not to look so closely or meticulously at somebody's life that you can just find fault here and there, and a character flaw here and there. So they, did, they certainly did that with Jesus. He was perfect, and they found, found reason to criticize him. They criticized Jesus. They found fault with him. They can do it with us, So a good candidate for elder isn't someone who's perfect, but they're consistent. Not that they're perfect, but they're consistent with a Christ-like character. The second trait, it says, the husband of one wife. That means there's no polygamy, which was allowed in the first century. There's no polygamy, there's no promiscuity, which was certainly rampant in the first century. So the person, he's not going to be married to more than one woman. He's not going to be running around and cheating on his wife all the time. You could translate this, this term here that he's a one-woman man or he's a husband who's committed and faithful to his wife. There should be marital faithfulness on the part of an of a elder. I don't believe that Paul's saying that a single man doesn't mean a single man can't serve as an elder. Otherwise, Paul would say, well, I guess I'm out because he was single. You know, so a single person could serve as an elder, but I think... What Paul is saying is that if a man is married, then that person should be a one-woman man, should be faithful to his wife, right? Next, he must exercise, he's temperate, self-controlled, respectable. Now, these qualities... Describe someone whose emotions, somebody whose impulses, somebody whose desires. They're not running all over the place. This guy's not running off the mouth all the time. They're not flying off the handle all the time. They're a person who exercises wisdom and self-control. They've got a handle on their emotions. A good elder, they're wakeful, they're alert. They have a vigilant habit of mind. They're opposed to all kinds of excess. They're prudent. They have mastery over their natural reactions. You know, I, I'm one of those people, um, my second reaction is better than my first reaction. Somebody comes up to me and they, they say, hey, and they push me. I mean, my natural reaction is going to be, what? What are you doing? You know, push them back. But it's like, no, a Christ-like character says you've got to have the self-control not to react the way you would naturally. You're gonna to have to exercise temperance and wisdom and prudence in that way. When you see somebody who has character like that, they're uh, a possible good candidate for an elder. They're respectable, they have self-control. They're not given to making rash decisions based on personal desires of the emotion of the moment. They consider what's good for the church. What's good for the church? What's healthy for the body of Christ? These gathering of Jesus followers, what is good for them right here and right now? Let's do that. Someone who's able to teach. There's another uh, trait that you look for in an elder, someone you'd admire, respect. Now, someone who's able to teach. Now, some people have said this, that that if... If Paul wrote able to teach, that means that all elders must be able to preach a sermon or lead a Bible study, and I don't think that's exactly what the qualification is getting at. First it should be noted that each person, whether that person's an elder or any other person in the church, whatever spiritual gifts that have given to them, they're given to them by God. You don't get to choose which spiritual gifts you have. So someone who's able to teach doesn't necessarily mean they have the gift of preaching or teaching. But it does mean this, that all elders are supposed to be able to teach others in various settings. In other words, if you, have the, if you have the right teaching and the right doctrine, you need to be able to communicate the right teaching and the right doctrine to people who don't understand what the Christian faith is all about. And you also need to have the ability to answer somebody who starts asking questions. Why do you Christians believe this? Why does your church do that? Why do you believe this? You have to be able to respond in an intelligent way to somebody who's asking those kinds of questions. Uh, Teaching could be done one-on-one. That teaching could be a conversation with somebody at a restaurant. It could be in a small group setting, at a coffee house, or in someone's home. What I think Paul's getting at here is an elder has to be a rigorous student of the Bible and theology. They need to know what the Bible says and what it doesn't say, and they need to be able to defend against false teaching. Titus says it this way, Paul was talking about elder qualifications in Titus, and he said he must hold firmly to the faithful message as it has been taught, so that he'll be able to give exhortation and such healthy teaching, and he's also able to correct those who speak against it. So there's another qualification. Now, let's go on to verse 3. Paul lays on another list of character traits. He says he must not be a heavy drinker must not be violent. He must be gentle, peace-loving, not someone who loves money. Another translation of that. Got a reaction to that? I'm not sure which one you were rea- reacting to. But that part about he must not be a heavy drinker. Another translation of that says he must not be a drunkard. I don't think Paul's saying here is, here is hey, guys, when you're looking for an elder, find, find a man who can hold his liquor. <laughs> that, that's not... What's really being communicated here. It's, it's describing a person who's moderate when it comes to consuming alcohol. I want to be clear here. In the, in the New Testament, you know, there are a lot of teetotalers around. There's some people who are recovering alcoholics or drug addicts, and they say, you know, not one drop of alcohol is going to cross my lips. Paul is not teaching total abstinence here. Uh, nowhere in Scripture does it say that alcohol is totally prohibited from consumption, except in certain instances when it is going to offend somebody. In other words, if you're in, a, if you're in a place where there is alcohol being served and you know that you've got three recovering alcoholics at the table, it's probably not a wise thing to do to say, hey, you know, I'm going to order an alcoholic beverage. Even though it might be good for you, it's not good for them in the moment. You could be causing a stumbling block. To somebody who's trying to recover from that kind of addiction. So you can't, it doesn't mean anytime, anywhere that you feel like it, freedom in Christ. You know, that's not the idea here. This passage would also prohibit not just alcohol, but any other mind altering substances. Like, I don't know, what's going on in Sonoma County right now cannabis, marijuana, um, drugs, hallucinogenics. The, The idea is an elder can't let any. Substance, whether it's alcohol or anything else, any substance influence or control their life, right? How many drinks? Now, this is one of those questions, and I'll ask it from the from a perspective of highway patrol or police officers. How many drinks does it require for somebody to be to be under the influence of alcohol? How many? Right? It depends how big the person is, right? You are a law enforcement officer, right? So. So the idea is, what, uh, I think 0.08 is now the, uh, the, the limit to how a, much a person can drink alcohol before they are considered under the influence of alcohol. Well, the latest I checked on 0.08, most people, probably 80% of human beings in America, 0.08 means that they have now had about two alcoholic drinks. So how much does it take to get drunk? And I'm, by the way, this message is probably not even for most of the people in this room, but I know lots of millennials and young people, lots of people my kids' age, and they love the freedom in Christ. They love this idea that they're okay to drink alcohol, but I've seen them at parties. I've seen them at weddings and celebrations, and I've seen very few of them stop at one drink. So there is, if you want to be a leader in the church, you cannot do the same things the rest of the world does it takes just about two drinks to qualify for a DUI so keep that in mind without becoming drunk without getting under the influence of wine in fact Ephesians chapter 5 says don't get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery it leads to dissipation in Spanish it leads to desenfreno right desenfreno do you know what that literally means means no breaks means you don't have any breaks on your life. When, you, when you're under the influence of alcohol, your inhibitions, your self-control is affected. And that's why I said you want to be a leader in the church, you can't go down that path. You have to limit yourself in that particular case. Not a heavy drinker, not violent, but gentle, peace-loving, someone who does not love money. Go down to verse 4. Now, now he's going to talk about the family life of somebody who's qualified to be an elder in the church. He says, he must manage his own family well with children who respect and obey him. I think Paul's saying here, the Christian faith, my, my grandmother was actually right. She rebuked me one time, I was 18 years old, I was leaving, I, I, was, I was bugging out, or I was, I, was, I was avoiding a family meeting because we had a meeting at church and I, it was a Bible study or something like that, and I was, no, I can't go to this family get-together, Grandma, because I got another thing at church, and she looked right at me. Was, I remember the sliding glass door, and she opened the door, and she says, Jim, you remember one thing. The Christian faith begins at home, and I went like, Ooh. <laughs> when your grandma's giving you the word of, 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 of rebuke right there in the moment, and says, yeah, Christian faith begins at home. And you know what? For us parents, uh, believe me, I've raised two kids. Did they always walk with Jesus? Not every single moment of every day of their life. So the Christian faith is part of what it means to be an elder. Uh, It is true that you can raise your kids in a Christian home. You can do everything you can, and sometimes they go astray. There's no guarantee, hey, if I, if I raise my kids in a Christian home, it's guaranteed they're going to be Christian when they grow up. That's violating what we call free will. Because every person, when they grow up, they make a choice of whether individually they're going to choose to follow Jesus. God doesn't have any grandchildren, right? He only has children. Every person has to make that choice. You can't make your children Christian There's no guarantee of that. So we know that that's true, but the idea of an elder is that the elder must maintain a home that fosters Christian values and has a nurturing Christian environment. So here's the deal. If you don't have a faithful, loving marriage, if you don't have children who love and respect you, if your own family is in disarray, your immediate family, it might be time to think again whether you'd really want to become a spiritual leader in God's church. Titus 1.6 says this, that an elder would have faithful children who cannot be charged with dissipation or rebellion. Here's the point. Paul says, one way you can tell whether a man would be a good elder or a good shepherd in the church of God is to look how that person shepherds his own family. If he's going to be a shepherd of the whole church of God, how does he shepherd his own family? Right. 1 Timothy 3, 5, but if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the church of God, right? It's a good logical question, so it's something to consider for uh, a spiritual leader in the church. Two verses left, and these are verses about pride, these are verses about getting appointed as an elder too soon, and the dangers of that. It says in verse 6, a church leader must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall, right? What does the devil use more than anything else in our lives to cause us to fall? Pride, right? You know better than anybody else. You're, you're, you're the man. You got it all going on. And, and when you get that attitude, the devil comes in and he tempts you to fall. I don't think there's a certain time frame, Like like how many years does somebody have to be a Christ follower before they can be Uh, qualified to be elder. I don't think it's it's a certain number of years or months. It's not about chronology. It's about how long somebody has been walking with Jesus as Lord of their life. Not everyone grows in their faith at the same rate, but an elder should be far enough along in his Christian journey that he demonstrates mature Christian character traits. You see somebody who, who qualifies for all these character traits, probably a good candidate for an elder. Somebody who walks in humility, not in, who, not in pride. Not, not somebody that says, I've arrived, I'm the man. I'm walking with God, I'm overcoming sin. I'm learning the word, I know how to teach the word. Everybody ought to listen to me. You know, that that attitude, you've crossed over from confidence now to pride. You you know, from progressing in your faith to now you're getting prideful. And there's where the danger is because the devil coming right in there and tempt you to fall. And if a leader falls in the church, the whole church gets affected and even the community gets affected. And that's a bad thing to happen. So he says in verse 7, also people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. An elder should have a good reputation with people outside the church, right? Do you have integrity outside the church, not just inside the church? You know, I, I don't want to name the group, but uh, in Southern California, one of my recollections was there were, there's a certain group of really on-fire Christians, and they are godly, they pray, they evangelize. They give sacrificially. They grow the church and the kingdom of God. But when Monday morning hits and they turn into business people, it's like dog eat dog, rat race. They whatever that love your neighbors yourself stuff that they were talking about on Sunday seems to go out the window on Monday, right? That cannot be in the life of a of a good Christian church elder. What you say and believe on Sunday is what we're supposed to be practicing Monday through Saturday. And the world, the, the, the community should be aware of that too, right? Good reputation with people outside the church, good conduct, right? Somebody who becomes a leader in Christ's church, they have gotten the enemy's attention, right? So somebody becomes an elder in the church, might as well just paint a target on their back because the enemy now says, okay, now that they're a spiritual leader in the church, if I can get them to fall, then I can, I can mess up that whole church, I can split the church, I can damage the church, cause it all kinds of harm, and I can damage the church's reputation in the community. So if a person desires the office of an overseer, it's a noble task, but you've got to know that you're going to put a target on your back when you take on that sphere and that position of leadership because the enemy wants to get you to fall more than anybody else in the church. We have to be on our guard. Paul makes it clear here. The qualifications for elder, it's not just someone who can pass a doctrinal test. Paul purposefully puts the elder qualifications into, into passing a personal morality and character test. It's about morals and character more than it is about doctrinal purity. So here's the conclusion, friends. Understanding the criteria by which elders are selected in the church um, and it talks about elders in chapter 5, too. We're going to get into that, where it says elders who work hard at both preaching and teaching. There's, a, there's even a, another level of elder there. Uh, selected How a church goes about selecting a church is important for at least two reasons. Number one, it helps in church ensure that the church is going to be led on the spiritual path that the congregation can take confidence in. Second, it also gives us a character measuring stick for all of us to attain for in our Christian life. I mean, I hope you guys, e- even if you're saying, oh, I'll never be elder, I-, I just not qualified or elder's not for me, so I can just tune out. Whatever you were saying about gym for elder, I started doing my grocery list because that doesn't really apply to me in my life. You know what? It does apply to you in, la- in your life. It applies to you in life because you need to have the wisdom and discernment to recognize who would be a good elder in this church. But secondly, all those character traits that qualify somebody to be an elder are also the character traits that qualify somebody to be a good, solid Christian leader, no matter if they're elder or not, in the local church. I'm going to ask Hannah and the worship team to come up now. And they're going to have a closing song for us, but uh, before before they start to sing, I just want you to realize that um, maybe you haven't looked at it this way, but do you realize that Having good elders in a local church, when you see a good elder in this local church, do you ever, do you ever think of it this way? Wow, seeing that, that elder and their walk with God, that re- is a reminder of Jesus' love to me. And the way I see it is this. Christ is saying, I'm going to put a man in your life who you can't just dismiss. You can't just blow him off. You can't get those character traits. You can't get that kind of patience or self-control or sacrificial love. You can't get that kind of godly family life. It doesn't come by accident. Those character traits are living proof that the Holy Spirit is leading and governing their life. right? Jesus says, by their fruits, you'll recognize them. You can't just say, you know, that Christian stuff is a bunch of bunk Because that person right there in front of you, his life and character shows that kind of moral quality that proves that God is supernaturally working his grace to change a human life. And God promises, hey, I can change that human life because you see it right here, right in front of you. I can change anybody's life as long as they bow their knee to Jesus and submit to God. It causes you to stop and take notice Jesus is using that mature Christ follower to get your attention. When you see the fruit of the Spirit, when you see somebody walking around with those kind of traits, you know that that did not just happen naturally. That's the evidence that God is at work to change a human heart. Reminds you that there are people in this world, it's not just that they're, quote, hypocrites in the church. That can't just be a good enough excuse anymore because, yeah, any local church is going to be full of hypocrites. Nobody lives completely up to what they say they believe. But there are some, also some people in the church who are really sincerely submitted to God and trying to live a life that pleases God. And you see the fruit of that in their life. And that reminds you of the power that God has to change a human life. You see, the problem for all of us is that we all start at the same place that elder that has the transformed life that you say wow look what god is doing in that guy's life that person didn't start that way that person started just like you are right now perhaps that person started as a sinner who's in need of a savior a sinner who's being shown the grace of god who's being pointed to jesus and to say follow him put your trust in jesus turn your sins turn your past Turn your failings of your life over to Jesus and ask him to come into your heart and to transform you from the inside out. And Jesus says, anybody who comes to me, I'm not gonna cast out. Jesus says, if anyone hears these words of mine and believes him who sent me, he said, that person has eternal life and won't be condemned. That person is crossed over from death to life. Jesus can do that in any life. He's obviously done that in a good elder's life, but he can do it in your life too. Are you ready to let Jesus do that in your life today? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're challenged by these qualifications because they are are a high standard bar to be set for anybody who wants to aspire to Christian leadership in the local church. And God, we, we ask you to keep working in our lives to develop these kind of moral character traits, to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Lord, to polish off, to wear off those rough edges that we have in our character, where we still need to learn to grow and to become more like Jesus in the way we act, in the way we respond, in the way we speak to people, in the way we think about other people, in the way we even pray to you. God, help us to grow in those ways. Thank you for the amazing work of grace that you have done in our lives. And Lord, if there's somebody here today, if there's somebody listening who needs to cross that line of faith for the first time and put their trust in Jesus, God, help them to join with me right now. If that's that's where you are in your life, I ask you to just pray this prayer along with me. Dear Lord Jesus, Lord, I see what you can do in a life that is submitted to you. And God, right now, I'm just coming to you in humility coming to you in faith. I'm coming to you with all my past, all my baggage, all my failures, all my misunderstanding of who I thought you were. And Lord, I'm laying all that at your feet and I'm saying, Lord, forgive me of all the stuff I've done wrong. Lord, come into my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. God, empower me to become the kind of person that you want me to believe, that you want me to be. And God, save me, bring me over, help me to cross over from death to eternal life. Because I'm putting my trust in your son, Jesus, today. Lord, I love you because I know you love me first. And I pray these things in your name. Amen.